0: Hello, hello, my Liberty Kitty Cats, and welcome to a very special episode of Lions of Liberty. And today I've got a special extra bonus episode for you. It is the second part of our Lions of Liberty Libertarian Party presidential debate series. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about our friend Dan Smotz and his podcast, The System is Down. Dan actually did the graphics uh, for these debates we're doing. But Dan does a little something else in his free time. He also has his own podcast called The System Is Down. And Dan's a weird guy. He likes to talk about weird things. He is also a libertarian. So he comes at a lot of things from a very libertarian angle. He even hosted his own libertarian debate with, I believe, 12 candidates the other week. You got to check that one out as well. But he gets into the weird stuff. He gets into conspiracies. He gets into philosophy. He gets into all sorts of fun stuff. And you enjoy the kind of stuff we talk about here, especially the kind of stuff we talk about on some of our bonus shows like Conspiracy Corner. You're going to absolutely love The System Is Down. So please do check it out at tsidpod.com. Welcome to
1: the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host.
0: We are live now uh, with five candidates for the Libertarian Party's presidential nomination. We are waiting on one who we are hoping who is going to show up still, Mr. John Mons. We will we'll hold out hope that, that he gets here by the end of uh, my little rules explanation. And then he won't even know the rules for the debate, so it's going to be even more fun. Uh, But just to briefly go through the rules with all of the candidates, uh, each candidate will get a two-minute opening statement to introduce yourselves and present the case for why you should represent the Libertarian Party as the POTUS candidate. A reminder to please mute your microphone when you are not speaking if you would be so obliged. Each round, candidates will answer questions in a different, completely randomized order. You'll receive 90 seconds for each answer, and you'll hear a bell that hopefully you'll hear the bell. Sometimes people don't hear it, but if you do, it will sound like this. If not, I will vocally interject in your answer, but the bell will indicate 10 seconds left, and I'll ring it a bunch of times when your time is up. If your name is mentioned critically at any time, you will receive 30 seconds to respond to that criticism. Uh, and the final round before the closing statement, each candidate will be able to pose a specific question to one of their opponents in this debate. Uh, candidates will receive the same 90 seconds uh, you hear that it question.
2: That-
0: and then uh, I just heard OD- the, the stream coming through. Uh, while the candidate who asked the question uh, the candidate who asked the question will be, will also get 30 seconds to rebut that, that at the, the answer to the question. And lastly you'll receive a 90 second closing statement as well. And I believe that's it. So without further ado, I will first introduce my co-host here who's with me handling some tech end. he'll be jumping in for a few questions as well. The host of Felony Friday, the felonious one himself, John Odermatt. How you doing, John? Fantastic. Excited to be
3: here. And uh, this cast of characters, uh, plus me instead of Brian, I'm sure that
0: this will be even better than the, uh, yeah. the first debate. I definitely upgraded on the co-host. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And uh, if our pre-show chat was any indication, we are going to have a lot of fun in this debate. So without further ado, I will bring in the currently still five debate participants. In no particular order, we've got Sam Robb, John McAfee, Dan Taxation Staff Beerman, Adam Kogish, and uh, Arvin Bora. He was in my, my corner that was covered up. <laughs> and Arvin <laughs> Um Before I get into the debate, guys, I just have very, one very important question to clarify with you before we proceed. Are you ready to roar? Uh, no, I mean, the, uh, are, you, are you looking for a <laughs> 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 <laughs>
4: yes yeah, no, no. reward? No so a... <laughs> there,
0: there we go. That's what we're looking for, folks. See, you passed the test. All right. Uh with that being said, we're gonna get right into the introductions. And this is in no particular order. We're gonna start with Sam Rob. You got two minutes.
1: Hey all, my name is uh Bob Vance, Vance refrigerate. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what came over me right there. Sam Rob, Sam dot 2020com And uh, I'm running for the libertarian nomination for president of the United States. I'm just some guy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I graduated from Carnegie Mellon University, went into the United States Navy, did a couple of years there, came back to Pittsburgh, taught myself computer programming, and I've worked as a startup programmer for the last 20 years. Trained as an engineer, my positions that I've held have all involved solving problems. That's what I do. That's what I like to do. I don't really care about uh, pleasing. People on one side or the other, I just want to see problems solved. And what I see right now is that we have a problem with government. We are headed in the wrong direction. You've got the Democrats who are driving straight on to full socialism. You have the Republicans that are following along 30 years behind, steering towards soft socialism, socialism with a speed limit. And neither of those parties is taking our country in a good direction. We're headed off a cliff. We need to turn around and we need to change direction. And that's what I want to do. I want to solve that problem. Uh, like I said er, in my introduction, I'm a guy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm not a podcaster. I'm not a well-known internet celebrity. I'm not a multimillionaire who's developed uh, virus, antivirus software. <laughs> I am not a professional educator. I'm not a guy with a boot on his head. I am just some guy who started talking to people saying, hey, you know what? We're headed in the wrong direction. We need to make some changes. And here's some reasonable changes that we can make. They increase liberty. They decrease the size of government. Are you in or not? And I've had a lot of people say, "That's your time, yeah, Sam. That sounds great." Cool.
0: Just so I know, did you hear the bell? Because this has been a controversy for, for over two debates. A little, little quiet. I did not like. I said, "Yeah, it's it's hard to hear while the other person is talking." We've noticed. So I'll just vocally interject if I have to. Like, yeah, Mark, guy like, not hear it over here. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'll just have to probably vocally interject. Uh, moving along, Dan, taxation is theft, Beerman.
5: So I'm Dan, taxationist, theft, Berman. I came to cut taxes and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. So I'm actually here in Mexico running for president of the United States. Yes, from Mexico. And um, I take my dogs for a walk every day. I have two really small dogs, and I take them for a walk. And because I live in an area where there's a lot of jungle and there's a lot of private property where they're developing, um, I take them for a walk. And what they do is, of course, when they're on their walk is they poop on the side of the sidewalk. Um, sometimes in the grass, sometimes in front of somebody's property. Now, if it's in front of someone's property, I clean it up. I take a little bag, I put it on my hand, and I pick it up because it would be wrong to leave that in front of someone else's property. But if it's in the middle of the jungle, I just leave it there to decompose, where nature would deal with it the same way it normally does. So my dogs have kind of figured this out, and they've realized that when they give me this little gift, if they put it in the right place, I'll pick it up. And so now they've learned that they only poop where there's gravel or grass or something else that's not the jungle because that's a gift that they're giving me and they want me to pick it up. It's adorable. So I take this and when they're not looking, I take it off to the side somewhere and leave it where it's going to decompose. This is a very important story and I'll tell you more about this, why it's so important later, Um, but uh, I'm running for president. Well, you do have 40 seconds if you want to elaborate on the on, on the story. I, I, I couldn't do it in 40 seconds, but it's right, a really great right. story. So you're going to have to sit through the debate you're to find out. You're just keeping me on the edge of my seat here. All
0: right. All right. Moving on to uh, Mr. Adam Kokesh. Hey,
6: thank you guys so much for doing this for the Lions of Liberty podcast and sure for you. everybody who's tuning in in this Corona season, pursuing liberty despite government in a, Uh, putting us in a forced unemployment crisis. That's what we're really facing here. I'm a Marine Corps combat veteran, a homesteader, a small business owner, and I live here in the mountains of Northern Arizona at the Garden of Freedom, where I run uh, one of my businesses, Big Igloo Geodesics. And I've said for a long time that without a black swan, Libertarian's not gonna win in 2020. Well, guess what? We are in that black swan right now. This is our moment, this is our opportunity. This is the chance to win. How do we win? Gotta give people what they want. Politics is about making friends and sharing ideas that you care about, and when you do it right, it's a lot of fun. And to me, that's what localization is all about. And what I'm running on is the platform of dissolving the entire federal government in a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations. In polling, secession has already hit over 25% nationally. We do 50 state secession. We start from a better position than any libertarian ever has. If nobody was on the ballot, in 2016, and not voting, counted as a vote for nobody, the Electoral College results would have been Trump 21, Clinton 72, and nobody in an epic landslide of historic proportions 445. Localization is the cure for polarization. It's how we unite the American people around libertarian principles. And we give everybody what they want by transitioning government to a voluntary, localized entity rather than a centralized, coercive one. I want to thank the other candidates for joining us. Anyone on on this debate right now would clearly be better than Cadet Bone Spurs or Sleepy Creepy Joe. And I'm honored to be a part of this. Thank you, Mark.
0: Thank you, Adam. That's your time. And uh, we are joined now by Mr. Mr. John Mons has joined the debate. So we're very happy that you're here, Mr. Mons. I will run through rules for you as you go, just to make sure you're up to speed on everything. Uh, but for now, we're moving on to the next opening statement, uh, which you have two minutes, Mr. John McAfee. Uh,
7: thank you very much, John. Number one, Dan, <laughs> uh, uh, nobody could deny that I, I certainly back your taxations that I have refused for 10 years to pay <laughs> taxes in America, which is why I am on the run the run, and uh, in hiding. Um and and I will never pay taxes again End of fucking story taxation is' theft. there's no fucking question. I mean I have been I've said it uh, for uh, 30 years 10 years ago I just decided to shut my fucking mouth and stop paying them, uh, which I did. Uh, and Adam uh, he never told me. he lived in Northern Arizona. I live in Tucson herero fuck me. I mean uh, that is. God's uh, for the country. And, uh, and that's all I had to say. Uh, thank you. All right. A very brief and concise
0: opening statement for Mr. McAfee. Thank you. Uh, we do have Mr. Mons. Are you hearing us? You are You are up next on, on my little opening statement list if uh, if you are here. You do have two minutes to present an opening statement. Uh, Mr. Mons, take it away. Thank you for having me. I apologize for uh,
2: coming in a little, a little late. I've been been having a rough time over the last couple of days, uh, situation in South Georgia, uh, murder over in Brunswick that, uh, came to light and it it just really touches home, you know, for me, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, to be here and to be able to uh, talk a little bit about what I like to do. My background, I've been very active in the party for about 15 years and, um, you know, it's been my pleasure to represent the Libertarian Party in four previous races. Um, I mean, we have we have a, a tough hill to climb. You know, fighting uh, just the enormous size of, of government and and you know, it's it's not an easy fight. And and I you know like. You know, all the candidates who have come out, and, and I respect anybody that runs for office. What I bring to the table, one is a little bit of experience. You know, I've, I've done this before, I've been in debates, I've been on TV, radio. Um, I've been consistent with a libertarian message in every race I've uh, run. I know how, it imp- how important it is for people not to be confused and, and think that libertarianism is Republican light or Democrat heavy. So the messaging is key, um, you know. So I would hate if I seem to be uh, or look a little bit upset, but but I am because I've been, you know, just feeling a kind of weight these last couple of days. But I, l- I look forward to talking about issues with the other candidates.
0: Thank We're you. all humans, my man. We totally understand. It's been a it's been a rough time for a lot of us. Uh, I think that's safe to say. So no worries. Thank you, Mr. Mons. I really appreciate it. Uh, lastly here, we will move on to Mr. Arvin Vora. Arvin, take it away. My name is Arvind Vora, and I'm running for
4: president to end the welfare state and end the income tax. I've said many times in many states that this culture has produced this government. And if we knock down this government today, then this culture will recreate this exact government tomorrow. I want to read you a quote from Barack Obama a few years ago, here's what he says. He says, talking about healthcare, that might be some kind of expansion of a Medicaid style system or something like that. But when you do things like that, it needs to be understood that the government will have to make decisions about what's covered and what's not. The source of this ideology is the belief that government knows what's right, even in a failed program like Medicaid. Stanny Hoyer, thirty-year congressional, thirty-year uh, congressman, had, and this is a recent thing, argued in favor of and then voted increased spending on DC public schools. DC public schools are the most failed schools in the entire world, and you could only believe in that if you fundamentally believe that everything the state does is right. Now, what's interesting about these two quotes from Democrats and these two actions from Democrats is they're not from Democrats. They're both from Justin Amash. The first was Justin Amash in Reason Magazine, the most libertarian-friendly publication on earth. He went there and chose to talk about expanding Medicaid. He voted to increase spending on DC public schools, the worst public schools in the world, the most, the biggest example of the failed welfare state. We have a choice now. Are we going to fight this culture war? Or are we going to keep on voting for Democrats and Republicans who want to grow it? I know my answer. My website is votefora.com.
0: Well, unfortunately, Mr. Amash is not here to answer that criticism at the moment. But uh, maybe. In but he was points.
4: invited, right?
0: He was invited to these debates, and he is invited to some future debates. So uh, we'll see. But uh, thank you very much, Mr. Borah, I appreciate that. Now moving on to the actual questions. Again, you will each get 90 seconds to answer each of these questions. They will be in a completely randomized order. So the random list generator has generated that the first question will go to, well, it's, it's going to all of you, but the first answer will come from Dan Taxationist that Beerman. the question that I pose of you is, libertarians often debate over what the goals of a libertarian party presidential campaign should be. Uh, whether it's simply education, whether it's ballot access, whether it's actually winning the office. So when it comes to your view on the Libertarian Party, what is the purpose of a national Libertarian Party presidential campaign? Dan, you got 90 seconds. Oh, Dan's muted there. I will unmute you. (laughs) Sorry about that. So, don't worry. If you think this is something, wait till it's
5: $1,100 on a Zoom call. <laughs> I, will, I will start your time when, you, when we can hear you. So um, just like Arvin said, we are fighting a culture war. Um, we need to change people into libertarians in a way that they're actually going to understand like, hey, I, I like being a libertarian. I want to live in a libertarian country. If we fail to do this, we will end up with the same government we have. This is absolutely correct. So the question always comes up, what's the point of a political party, a libertarian political party? What's the point of running a candidate? Has to be to win, right? Because what else would you have a political system for? Well, if you're in this to win, I have news for you. There are two other amazing parties that are really good at winning. And if that's your only concern, and you don't care about the morals or the values of the libertarian party or the libertarian philosophy, you're welcome to join any of those two parties and you're probably going to win really easily and you can be a part of that victory. But if you care about the libertarian philosophy and you want the world to be free, it's not about getting somebody who can fool enough people to get into office. And it's not about getting someone to lie enough about, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a libertarian, but, but yeah, you should vote for me because I'm this total radically new thing. If that's what you want, go take that to another party. We're libertarians here. And we need to change the world by creating more libertarians. And you don't do that by lying. And you don't do that by creating a fake facade of some candidate that is just in it to win something without actually changing anything. That's pointless. All right. That was perfect timing. I didn't even need the bell. Excellent, Dan. Thank you.
0: (laughs) All right. Next up, Arvind Bora.
4: A few days ago, the Ron Paul Institute analyzed one of Justin Amash's speeches in one of his interviews and pointed out that in a 10-minute interview, he said zero libertarian things. I've heard all the candidates here in, in 10 seconds say more libertarian things than Amash said in 10 minutes. Dan is right. This isn't just about who can trick enough people into voting for something they don't understand. This isn't about lying or turning ourselves into an exact replica of the enemy. The purpose of our party, the purpose of our movement is to cut government. And we need to do that in whatever way we can. Now, if we want to cut government, the first thing we need to do is actually, at some point, talk about cutting government. We need to at least let people know that this is what we want to do, and here are the benefits thereof. Cutting government has to happen at all levels. It's not just about moving things from the federal level to the state level or the state level to the local level. It's about getting government out of everything. And that's what I stand for. I oppose government schools. I oppose the income tax. I want to end welfare. I want to pardon nonviolent drug, drug offenders. I want to shut down foreign military bases and bring the troops home. I want to get rid of the FDA so that we can be safer. I want to get rid of the FCC so we can have free art and communication. I want to get government out of art. I want to get government out of health care. I want government out of education. I want government out of higher education so that we no longer have crippling college debt. We need to fight to end government. That's the goal of this party. That's the goal of my campaign. And my website is votefora.com.
0: 90 seconds on the money. get bonus points for that. All right, moving along. Next up, we have Adam Kokesh. I think the goal is clear from the
6: Libertarian Party statement of principles. Nothing less than a world set free in our lifetime. And what we have is an opportunity in nominating a presidential and vice presidential candidates with 50 state ballot access is to make ourselves a threat politically. And we have to be ready to win in order for that threat to be realized and taken seriously, injected into the political conversation. I think that's why localization is the most practical plan for the Libertarian Party, because it brings people together in a winning coalition. Now, obviously, there are other components of this, but I do want to take issue with specific things said by Dan and Arvin here. First, Dan uh, are saying that we, we have to convert everyone. Not necessarily. We can take leadership over people who haven't read a bunch of textbooks on economics. We can be leaders who show people, not just tell people and explain, but show in policy that freedom makes their lives better. Localization gives everybody that flexibility and competition between localized governments so that people can see what works and what doesn't. And with Arvin, uh, you, you know, saying that the goal is to cut government, I, I think, again, the Libertarian Party of Statement of Principles illuminates a deeper like understanding a- of libertarian principles that says, where governments exist, they must be voluntary. Who are we to dictate to communities other than our own what form of voluntary government they could have?
0: That's it. All right. Arvin and Dan, you were both mentioned there. Um, I will randomly choose Arvin to be able to respond. First, you have 30 seconds to respond to Adam.
4: Adam has a good point, which is that there is the possibility of voluntary governments, but a voluntary government is not what people see right now. As long as people believe they have the right to steal from others, as long as their cause is just we're not going to get anywhere. So that's why I talk about abolishing government schools and all the popular programs, because no matter how popular a program is, you do not have the right to steal to fund it. And once people have to pay for things directly, they're going to choose something that works better.
0: All right. That was your 30, it was 28 seconds actually. Very good. Uh, moving on to Dan, you can may also respond to Adam.
5: Yeah, I think there's a lot of nuance to that that won't fit into to 30 seconds or 90 seconds, but you you have a point. But at the same time, if you were to come in and say I'm a libertarian and I'm going to lead with force and change all these programs that other people disagree, hey, I want these programs. I want I'm happy to pay for these. Then I think you it is kind of forceful and and yeah. So so we I would say we need to have everybody on board. But of course, we should be able to say stop stealing for me if you want to do that. All right. Thank
0: you, Dan. And moving on back to the original question of what is the purpose of a Libertarian Party presidential campaign, we now move on to John McAfee. Uh,
7: Thank you very much. Um, uh, Listen, if I could actually split my vote into four or five pieces, I would vote for every one of you fucking motherfuckers. You are exactly the soul of the Libertarian Party. Um, I think, however, that. We need to stop people pretending that we, in the office, because you know you are in your heart, none of us are going to be president. If you believe that, please, that's so tragic, both for the libertarian party and for the American public. We're not. You know that. So let's stop being children pretending to be adults in the world of, of Democrats and Republicans and let's be adults in the real fucking world. We have truth. We have a perspective. We have a spotlight on what is wrong with this fucking country. And you know what that is corruption, a two party system, an overburdened government that pretends to be our protector when in fact, Uh, is our master. We're goddamn slaves. Um, (laughs) Let's get real. And and, and in all seriousness, I can't be president. Please don't vote for me, and I will. If I could vote for all of you, I swear to Christ, I would. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. Let's stop being children pretending to be adults and let us, please, God, invite the American public into our fucking debates. That
0: is your time. Baby.
7: Pardon? That's your time. Uh,
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. I think everybody was technically mentioned there uh, as as possibly getting a vote from Mr. McAfee, but that's not a criticism. So we're going to move on. Uh, We're going to move on to... (laughs) Maybe it is a criticism, actually. It really depends on your voting. It is not. It is
7: not. (laughs) It is not ever.
0: (laughs) All right. Moving on to Sam Robb. Sam, take it away. Okay.
1: I'm actually going to quote some scripture here. When I was a child, I speak as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. One of my favorite quotes talks about the fact that Tolkien, when he was thinking about this, said, hey, putting away childish things means putting away needing the approval of others. It means putting away needing people to to tell you that you're doing the right thing. It means essentially not being afraid to speak your mind and to stand up and be a man. So I think that we all here have put away childish things. We are all standing up and doing what we need to do, whether we win or not, because it's the right thing. As for what we should be doing, campaigning, the answer is yes. Should we be trying to reach voters? Absolutely. Should we be trying to grow the party? Absolutely. Should we be trying to get the libertarian message out there? Absolutely. But the end goal always should be and has to be to win. Even if it is chaotic, even if it is tilting at windmills, we need to stand up and do the right thing, not because of what we may gain from it, but because it is the right
0: thing to do. All right, Sam, congratulations on 20 seconds under your time. I guess that bonus points with me. Uh, (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Finally, we have Mr. Mons, Mr. John Mons. What is the purpose of a Libertarian Party presidential campaign?
2: The number one purpose of Libertarian Party candidate campaign the president should be this. It is all about the message and effectively delivering a libertarian message, period. Now, as far as uh, how do you gauge success, there's a number of ways to gauge success. One is the number of votes. You know, some states need 2% for ballot access. So if if a candidate can get that, that would be considered a win for that state. Some states need 5%, you know. So, you know, getting to those levels are ways that we can win the election without technically winning the election. We can help states. We can help the National, uh, Libertarian National Committee from not having to spend so much money and time and effort to get on the ballot in the next uh, election cycle. So those are some ways to win. And why do I say the message is so important? It's because this, when you talk about winning, the Socialist Party of the United States, how many elections do they actually win? You know. To my lot is none, but they're effective, and they've moved the American public uh, support to their issues, and that's why the message is so important. We don't have to win the elections, but we do need to win the minds and hearts of the American people, and if we do that, then we'll let the Democrats and Republicans fight over adopting our principles and implementing because all they want to do is stay in office.
0: That's so- your time, Mr. Monson. Thank you. Hey, gang, I got to take a quick time out to tell you a little bit more about our amazing sponsors at the North Spokane Hemp Company. There are so many great things about CBD and this particular brand. And my challenge is to tell you all about it in the next oh, minute or so. So here we go. By now, many of you have heard of the amazing benefits of CBD. It is de- derived from a different part of the cannabis plant so that it does not get you high. It does not impair you in any way. Uh, it doesn't make you dive into the ice cream late at night, but it does provide amazing benefits to dealing with issues like pain relief from sore muscles and joints, inflammation, insomnia, and so much more. So please head over to NorthSpokaneCBD.com. Our sponsors can use your help now more than ever during these times. And you're going to want to use your discount code. That's discount code LIONS at checkout for 15% off your order. Moving along to the next question, I'm going to toss this over to my colleague here, John Utterman. He's got a question for you guys. Question number two. This is also 90 seconds
3: each. It's going to go to... Arvind Vora first, and here is the question. The Libertarian Party platform has clearly stated, has a clearly stated open borders plank. If you agree with this plank, how do you define open borders? If you disagree, what would be your immigration policy as the LP POTUS
4: nominee? My position on this has been pretty clear for many years, which is open borders, no welfare. You want to come to America to work? Great. You want to come to America to steal stuff from other people? That's a problem. And so we need to end the welfare state. I don't think that ending the welfare state is a prerequisite for open borders, but I do think that both should happen. Right now, government policy is absolutely terrible. Right now, government policy is keeping away from us the most important tools that we need for our businesses businesses to succeed. Well, we need to make sure that American companies don't fail, and that's highly skilled labor. Right now, the United States literally has a cap on the number of highly skilled workers that can come to the United States. That doesn't serve anybody's purpose. The result of that, of course, has been that now jobs are outsourced overseas. The same people do them that would have done it if they'd been allowed to immigrate. And now they spend money in their local economies, building at their local grocery stores, local restaurants, etc. We're making ourselves poor for no reason. We're stealing jobs from ourselves for no reason. So opening borders is an absolute essential step in that. One of the things people ask is, well, what about people who aren't necessarily highly skilled? Listen, whether or not you have a college degree, it doesn't really tell whether or not you're going to be a great entrepreneur or whether or not you're going to be a great job creator. Open borders lets the people who want to come here to work and contribute come in, and ending welfare keeps out the people who are only going to be a drain.
3: All right. Done and moving on, next, John Mons, Same question.
2: I believe in freedom of movement. Um, once again, you have to have that word freedom in there, and that and that's the message. You know, we if we respect uh, you know private property and private property rights, employers ought to be able to contract and bring in and hire whomever they want to. You know, it shouldn't be restricted by government. So I mean that's You know, the simple answer, you know, free people ought to be able to free, uh, move freely across borders. You know, we don't need checkpoints and don't have them uh, going from state to state, you know. So that in itself is an example of, you know, quasi open borders. You know, I don't have to leave Georgia and and check in when I get to Florida, you know, because we realize that making things easy and, uh, you know, for people to be able to move freely You know, it works well. You know, if we want to keep bad actors out, you know, we we don't, you know, keep everybody out. But if somebody comes here and does something illegal, they should be held accountable. You know, we don't ban everybody or make such restrictive rules that, uh, you know, we don't want good people to come come as well. But we deal with people just like the drug situation. uh, For example, in, in prison, you can't keep drugs out of prison. You know, so why have a drug war? Is that 10 seconds? 10 left, yeah. Okay. You. So, you know, that's, you know, kind of how I see it. Freedom of movement. That's your
3: time. And, and you might not have to check into uh, to Florida from Georgia, but if you try to go to New York right now, yeah, you probably will. <laughs> Moving on. Next up is Sam Rob.
1: All right. So I have said repeatedly that my platform along these lines, is closed borders, open doors, because I believe that border control and immigration control are two separate issues. As a nation, I believe we have the right and the, the necessity in order to maintain the safety of everybody living within the confines of the United States of America, citizens and immigrants alike, to keep our borders secure. But it also, I believe that we also need to have open doors. We need to stop telling people, hey, we're going to check you and make sure that you're the right kind of person before you come here or that you meet the right kind of quota before you come here or that you have the right kind of a job before you come here. We need to go back to an Ellis Island model of immigration where everybody is welcome. And we ask that you come through the door so that we we can talk to you. We can say, hey, why are you here? what are you doing hey let's hook you up with some people who can help you get assimilated get plugged into the american american system the american culture so that you can be a success we don't want you to fall through the cracks or so that we can say things like in this current climate you know what we have a plague going on right now how about you you maybe think about coming back in a couple of weeks right we we need to get things straight here before it's safe for you to come we need to go back to a policy that allows anybody who wants to be an American to come here, to work, to succeed, to prosper, and to become someone who can live the American dream and acquire the American dream. All
3: right. (laughs) Next up, Adam Kokesh.
6: So I'm glad uh, that I get to go after some of my fellow candidates on this one. I know John McAfee is going to have uh, a little more of a paradigm-smashing answer. But all of these answers, and I, I, I do appreciate John Mons really pointing out the core libertarian principle of, of freedom of movement, but none of them are challenging this concept of government borders in the first place and getting past this false dichotomy of open versus closed borders, of pro-life versus pro-choice, you know, uh, of all, uh, you know, just our, all of these different false dichotomies that are imposed on us by the status system, left or right, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. The question is not open or closed borders. And so when you ask the question about the Libertarian Party platform specifically, I 100% agree with the position in spirit and in in the the substance of it, but I really do have an issue with the messaging and it gets to a, a better way of looking at this and communicating Libertarian principles to say, what's a legitimate border? Government borders aren't legitimate because somebody in an office or, or some you know general conquered an area and drew a line on a map and said, well, we're the authorities. We control all of this territory. That's ours. That doesn't make it a legitimate border. The only legitimate borders are private property borders, and they can be as open or closed as the property owner or the community involved wants them to be. We're going to find that the more open people are, the more productive they are. That if we That's eliminated time. government borders as an impediment to That's the time. flow of human capital, global productivity would double. All right. So, so
3: technically, Adam called out Arvin, John, and Sam. So, <laughs>
0: well, yeah, John was complimented, so he doesn't count. But if, if John, anybody wants John to, Mons. if anybody <laughs> wants to respond to yeah to the criticism, uh, the general <laughs> criticism about borders, yes, feel free of course, I'll respond to
4: criticism. Yes.
6: So I'm Arvin. just I'm just trying to make this more interactive. Yeah, he, no, he, I, come
4: on, guys, let's toss it right. up. I mean, you're we'll right. You're, you're right on this. Adam's strategy is to I'm call not, everyone that, out. For yeah, every no, question.
6: no. So it's like, no, no. But I love this. I because, <laughs> like, I criticize Dan and Arvin, and they go, <laughs> and they got a point," and we're all on the same page, and having yeah. a beautiful conversation. Yeah.
4: <laughs> no, but I mean, Adam, you're right. I mean, the, the idea yeah, that there, a government yeah. can control a border is nonsense. The only borders that make sense are the ones that you set on your own private property. I don't believe in the existence of public property. Government property, the very idea of it is nonsense. You own your land, and that's it. And if it's not somebody's land, well, it's nobody's land. Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: Mr. Mons, do you care to, to respond or, or Sam, either of you
4: to that? Uh, yeah, I'll say a
2: just a couple words on that. Once again, you're talking about private property. And that and that's what I mentioned. I, you know, that's what Arvin mentioned. And but that's part that's part of the messaging. And the fact that, you know, the owners, the private property owners get to make the rules. It's not that we're as libertarians saying there should be no rules, there should be no laws, but one, they should be based on, on freedom and 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 let the people decide. You know, locally, one community might want to do something different than another community. That's All
1: right. And lastly, and, uh, Sam, do you want to respond? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, very famous saying: "Your right to swing your fist ends at the tip of my nose." Libertarian thought is based on the idea of borders. This is my property. This is not your property. What we do collectively. Is only what we can do individually so individually if we have the permission if we can set our borders then as a nation as a group we can set our borders as well the question is not whether borders exist the question is what we are going to do with them and what we need to do with them is acknowledge them and allow the free flow of people across them
3: okay so moving on to next in the queue uh,
5: the question is dan berman so i'm going to drop some knowledge on you guys and some of this is going to be pretty controversial, but you can feel free to go uh, fact check me. Um, We need to unlearn a lot of stuff that we've learned because we've grown up in this system that's been in place for over a hundred years. First of all, the United States is not a country. It's a federation of smaller states or nations or countries. The United States Constitution allows for naturalization. That's different than citizenship. What's the difference between citizenship and nationality does anybody know the difference between that? Because they're they're written about very differently in the law. This is my passport. You can flip through it. It doesn't say what country or what nation I'm a citizen of. Right here, it says nationality. United States of America. It doesn't say anything about citizenship in here. If you have a passport, go look. Look for the word citizen. It's not in your passport. Now, a, what is a passport? It's a pass to travel between ports. Think about it, but you don't need one of these if you don't use government ports. You only need this traveling in and out of their ports. And this came about during the World Wars. Why? Because they were trying to regulate who was going in and out of their countries. Why? And why is this still in place now? And why is this so important? This discussion that we have about borders is a complete distraction. It's there so they can steal imports and exports and steal money that crosses borders. It's also there to make everybody have to become a citizen in order to be here because by a citizen, they can contractually obligate you to, so they can steal from you.
3: All right. And lastly, but certainly not leastly John McAfee. <laughs> uh,
7: listen, I agree with everything. Everybody has said, but I'd like to add something. And that is, I think it is the height of arrogance. <laughs> To think that we can own land, <laughs> a piece of dirt, a piece of rock, a mountain, a valley uh, that has existed for millions of years where we will be gone in less than 150. Um, and nations are even more arrogant to think this is my border which you may or may not cross. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please, I don't mean to belittle or to make light of a serious issue, but no, uh, if someone wants to come across from Mexico or Canada or sailed in from uh, uh, the Caribbean or, uh, the Pacific Islands, well, fuck me, please do so. <laughs> you you spent the time, energy, money, and the risk of doing it, please come the fuck inside. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, That's all I have to say. I'm I'm an old man, and I I don't really understand much uh, about the world, but that's my two cents. Thank you.
3: All right. Thank you. And we'll uh, toss it back to Mark for question number three. All right. Let's see
1: here.
0: Why don't we talk about foreign policy? Um, in, in, the, in, your view, should the federal government as, as it's constituted or as, as it would be under your administration where you elected, uh, should the federal government have a role to play in national defense? Uh, and if so, or if not, what should that role be? And how would you as president interact with leaders of foreign countries? And we're going to start with the guy we just finished with John McAfee. Oh,
7: fuck. I mean, why am I first? Okay. So <laughs> to fuck with you, come on that fuck with me. Number one, I, I, I think that obviously the federal government must have a role in national defense. It's only got two roles as far as I'm concerned. Build the goddamn roads, the infrastructure, and defend us. What else is there? Okay. Should our government be involved in Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran? Fuck me. I don't speak the language, who does? Uh, I know nothing about the uh, relationships, the uh, culture, the religion, the um, political fucking alliances. Now what the fuck is America doing in Saudi Arabia, Iran, even goddamn Germany? No, please bring our soldiers home and do what we're supposed to do. Guard our fucking borders. Keep us safe while we as U.S. citizens can go ahead and build the fucking country that we voted you in for. End of story. I'm sorry. That's all I got to say. Thank you very much. <laughs> no apologies.
0: Anytime I don't need to try to use the bell, I'm, I'm a happy man. So you get <laughs> points for that. Good man. All right.
5: Up next, we have Dan, taxationist, theft bearman. So I think collectively, as people who want to stay safe, we would want some organization that's bigger Mm -hmm. than us that can do things that we can't do. And that's great if we want to voluntarily participate in something like that. There are organizations who are out there protecting us from a giant meteor hitting Earth. Voluntarily. They watch the skies. They're into astronomy. This is something that they do because they like doing it. There are people doing this between nations as well. A lot of them are referred to as conspiracy theorists and maybe they don't all have accurate information, but they're doing this. So what is the government's role? I mean, isn't the government, wasn't it created to say, hey, uh, we want to join all of our effort and energy together to protect from foreign invasion. Isn't that what has already happened with a decentralized information system? And if the government is going to participate, shouldn't its only um, activity be maybe to organize and coordinate defense and to make sure that we all have the right information so that when someone is attacking us, we can say, hey, we understand, we know the information, I want to help defend, I'll volunteer and this is how it should be done. There should be no drafts, there should be no standing armies, unless we're actually under attack. All right, that is uh, another very concise answer from Mr. Berman.
0: Moving along, up next we have Sam Robb, back to Sam Robb.
1: Fantastic. Does the government have a role in national defense? Absolutely, I believe so. Um, If you look at the the, uh, Declaration of Independence, it, it talks about preserving life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All three of those are very, very important. And it's it's a stacked order, right? You cannot pursue happiness if you don't have liberty, and you can't have your liberty if you don't have your life. One of the few legitimate uses of government in in our lives is to help preserve our lives. And the part that's exactly what the Department of Defense should be doing. We should not be involving ourselves in foreign wars. We should not be poking our nose into other people's business, or as we say in Pittsburgh here, being Nebby, right? We should I got a smile from John there. We should be using the Department of Defense as a Department of Defense. It should be limited. It should be something that that we uh, maintain and have ready, just like any one of us would make sure that we had a weapon ready to defend our homes or defend our lives. But it's one that we do not want to pull out, one that we do not want to use unless it is absolutely necessary to defend our country.
0: All right. Thank you, Sam. You guys are killing it on the short answers. I'm, I'm loving this. Don't, if I can never use the bell again, I'm going to be a really happy man. Uh, up next, uh, Arvind Vora.
4: If you were to throw out all the rules of war and just want to hurt another country and you didn't care how you did it, one way to do it is to cut off all medical supplies to that country, cut off medicine, cut off doctors. And that would go against morality and the rules of war and the Geneva Conventions. What we don't do to other countries in times of war, the government is doing to us in a time of peace. And it's not just that. Our current foreign policy is not just one that keeps out doctors and medicines that we need. It's also one that creates enemies. There are dangers in the world right now. And those are dangers that have been created on purpose by the U.S. government. Uh, Adam, right now, you—you you, I saw that you said that, it, that the government should have no role and, and to an extent, I agree with you. I think in the long run, it should have absolutely no role. But in the short run, I do think it has a role. And that role is bringing people home, shutting down foreign military bases, getting out of other countries, leaving NATO, setting the standard for other countries to encourage them to leave NATO through our example, leaving the UN, leaving the World Health Organization that's only been spreading misinformation, getting out of all these entangling alliances. I do believe we have a role, and that role is to, by example, tell countries that we are no longer gonna be involved in somebody else's <laughs> civil war, no longer harming other people, no longer That's impoverishing nice. other countries through <laughs> tariffs and whatnot, so that, they're easier, so that it's easier to recruit terrorists there.
0: Our role is to get out. That is your time perfectly, Mr. Fora. thank you very much. Moving on, next up is Adam Kokesh.
6: The founders were very clear on this point, and they were right. Standing armies or militaries defend governments, and militias defend free people, and having a military makes you less safe. Libertarians should have no compromise whatsoever on this issue. We know that you cannot have a coercive monopoly on anything without detrimental effects and defense, and the military is no different. And I don't just mean that it makes us less safe in the sense that I experienced in Collusion 2004, where we made enemies faster than we could kill them but in the sense that it makes you vulnerable to foreign invasion having a military tells another country's government because wars aren't fought between countries like we're taught in elementary school speaking of putting away childish things childish ideas no wars are conducted by governments using militaries to expand their protection rackets. the founders knew that the only legitimate and the best defense of a free people is a well-armed population that refuses to be governed by anyone. We can have the weapons around. We can have a rifle behind every blade of grass. We can have a decentralized, militia-based defense that the founders advocated for. To say that we need the government involved, we need the military, is that we're going to have that gun. And instead of just having it in the holster, we're going to pick it up and we're going to point it at everybody's head and be ready to kill innocent people at a moment's notice because that's what militaries do. That's what you get when you violate the basic principles of just war theory. That's why governments want militaries and won't let us have a free market or militia-based defense. That's the libertarian position.
0: Thank you. Adam, got a little distracted there because Mr. McAfee is in in a battle with a handkerchief right now. Uh, I
7: apologize. I'm sorry. It's, It's my wife's fault, Mrs. McAfee. Wait, was, she throwing, was she throwing
0: toilet paper at you?
7: <laughs> yeah, she's throwing fucking toilet paper at me. Thank God. All right. It's all right, not uh, my fault, and I apologize. All
0: right. So Mr. Mons is up next. He seems to have dropped off the call. So if you're all cool with it, we'll move on. But uh, if he does hop back on, I would like to go back to him and, and allow him to answer this question uh, if he's able to reconnect. I'm not sure what happened to him there. But uh, for now, we'll move on. We'll put a little placeholder there for Mr. Mons. Uh, until then, Odie, I think you have another question from the uh, – felony Friday, oh, yeah. criminal justice angle of things. So take it away.
3: Yeah. Coming at you with a felonious question here. Um, so this is question four and John Mons is supposed to be up first, but since he's dropped so He off, can answer t- two questions when he can- gets <laughs> back. He's going to have a whole list when he gets back. Uh, we'll yeah. go with, uh, with Dan, Dan, Dan Berman up first on this one. Question is, should all drugs be decriminalized? Here's the important part. If so, how would you persuade Americans that this is the right path for dealing with and for dealing with all problems associated with drugs and drug use?
5: Yes, absolutely. Decriminalize, legalize, whatever. Get rid of all the laws, restricting, regulating, taxing, anything having to do with any kind of drug. Um, That includes the stuff that the FDA is telling us is okay to consume even though it's killing people. Um, We should be able to make our own decisions. And what the government is essentially doing is saying, oh, you've made some bad decisions in life. Well, even though this might be a phase you go through and you'll be out of it in a couple of years and you'll be able to go get a career, we're going to take all of that opportunity away from you. We're going to throw you in prison. We're going to give you a criminal record and we're going to make it impossible for you to get a job. You're going to be forced to live a life of maybe you have to sell drugs. Maybe you have to sell your body. Maybe you have to do this or that. Very limited options because you have a criminal record because the government was trying to save you from yourself. This is total bullshit. It's all there so they can make money. The CIA is the biggest importer of drugs in the United States. Cocaine, cannabis, heroin, everything else. So um, yeah, that's a little bit hypocritical. We have to realize everything that we have learned is propaganda. Drugs are not as big of a problem as they say it is. And if we get rid of these, the streets won't be overflowing with drugs. That's just absolute nonsense. And I have told this to people and it has worked. In fact, I saw a 12-year-old kid convince an 80-year-old that we should legalize heroin within a 2-minute conversation based on my platform. <laughs>
3: wow. I got to get that kid on the Sorry. show. Wow, first, first of all. <laughs> of, let's all wave to the CIA watching the debate.
6: Hi CIA. <laughs>
5: <laughs> my <laughs> personal FBI Sorry. guys
3: next, watching. Next up is Adam Kokesh.
6: Absolutely decriminalize legalize whatever it is. I've heard my friend Daryl Perry from New Hampshire say that he wanted cannabis to be as legal as tomatoes. And I'm like, wait, are you crazy? Do you know how hard it is to sell tomatoes in America without government permission, without paying your taxes and filling out your small business forms and being government approved to grow tomatoes? No, we need to get government out of this bracket entirely. But with the libertarian doctrinaire position of you know pro-drug or anti-drug or legalization or not legalization, We're kind of playing their game, and then we lose in the messaging. A key part of your question was, if so, how do you convince people of this position? Well, there are all sorts of ways that libertarians do an amazing job of creating all these wonderful talking points, destroying the drug war. But how do we actually unify people on policy changes? Well, localization solves that problem for us. Yeah, we want to live in communities with absolute freedom, generally speaking. I want absolute freedom on my own private property, but I don't have to scare people with this position. I can say, look, if you want to live in a community where there are no drugs and everybody in that community agrees to that, I want you to have the right to have whatever kind of community you want based on your values set up to meet your needs. And again, localization, localization, localization – Gives us a better way to address every issue. This time,
1: longer. boom! Exact time. Impressive. Very good. Next up, Sam Robb. <clears throat> okay, one of the first things I want to say is, um, I'm very, very glad that you you mentioned decriminalization as opposed to legalization, because legalization is just shifting around the the bubble. And uh, putting government in charge, and what happens when you put the government in charge? You get things like the government of Ontario losing forty-two million dollars a year selling <clears throat> marijuana. Only the government is so incompetent that they could lose money selling drugs. Okay, so yes, should all, should all drugs be decriminalized? Absolutely. Go back hundred years. You could buy. You could go out. You could buy marijuana. You could buy heroin. You could buy cocaine. It came in cost era. We did not have people following around all over the place, you know, drug addicts you know, here, here, there, and everywhere. There were, Yeah, sure, there were some people who had, who had problems. There were people who frequented opium dens. There's other people that have problems with alcohol. We learned as a society how to deal with it. We taught our children how to deal with it. And we've gotten away from that. And we've moved to the position where, OK, we need to protect ourselves from all these things because they're potentially dangerous. We've become a society made up of boys in the bubble. And we cannot live like that. We cannot go on like that. That's, we see that right now. What we're, that's what the government's trying to do to us. Stay home, stay safe. Don't do anything that might, might be a risky thing, right? 10 seconds. We need to get government out of it. We need to let individuals make their decisions and make their choices. And we need to learn as a society to deal that's with tough. those choices and do it in the right way. All right. Next up, John McAfee.
7: Well, I mean, it's no secret that I, <laughs> I have been jailed uh, at least a, a dozen times for drug use ranging from <laughs> no. marijuana to, um, to heroin. Um, now, the arguments are that, that, listen, we need to prevent yeah. McAfee from using heroin because he's going to fucking rob his neighbors <laughs> in order to support his drug habits. Can't well, we just wait until McAfee does rob his neighbors and deal with it then? <laughs> People, <laughs> my, my last arrest was my drug uh, my last arrest was for <laughs> alcohol in Tennessee two years ago. I spent forty eight hours in jail for driving under the influence, and well, I mean yes, firing a few guns out the window, but still, so, I mean it's still drug related. <laughs> Listen, uh, until the drug addict uh, fucks you over, what do you have to do with what the fuck he's doing? I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'll shut the fuck up. Thank you.
3: All right. Uh, next up, Arvind Bora. <laughs>
4: I first have to say I'm actually a little bit surprised that neither Dan nor Adam said a single thing about pardons. Uh, as I've as I've made it clear many times, pardoning all nonviolent drug offenders is a major part of my plan. And 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 to your point, uh, to your point about what how to convince people, it's they don't need to be convinced. Nobody has the right to force somebody else to do or not do anything unless that person's actions affect them. So I'm not going to convince people that drugs are good because I don't think that drugs are that good. I will convince people that it's not their business unless somebody actually does something. Uh, John, you're completely right. You know, I have this a pair of scissors sitting here on my desk, and if I use that scissors to stab somebody, yeah, it would be a big problem. But since I have no intention of doing it, no history of doing it, and I'm not going to do it, and I've never done that, it would be bizarre to ban this pair of scissors. Similarly, just because somebody is doing something that through a very specific sequence of events could somehow lead them to then want to rob, holding somebody responsible for something they haven't even done is total nonsense. So my position is this. We don't need to convince people that somebody else has the right to do something. We need to speak the truth, which is that if somebody's actions are not affecting you, it's not your business at all. If somebody's marriage doesn't affect you, it's not your business. And if somebody's way of enjoying themselves does not affect you, it's not your business.
3: That's time. Right on time. (laughs)
0: all right we have signs being held up i love it we have you guys gotta watch the video it's it's way more entertaining uh this will be published (laughs) to youtube after the fact as well so you can always go back and watch if you're you're listening to the audio right now but uh a lot of rebuttals we we had dan
3: and adam both mentioned there um i believe that was it uh so we'll go to uh
5: dan first if you want to do you want a rebuttal Yes. Yeah, so I knew Arvin was going to talk seconds. about pardon. So I just let him go first and say that. So all I have to do is say ditto. And I do want to say we do have to convince people because yeah, it, it doesn't make sense that people want to take these rights away from people. But at the same time, what we have is an angry mob. And how do you stop an angry mob? Well, when an angry mob is trying to attack an innocent person, we could come to their defense with our guns and start fighting our way out of it. But I think in this particular case, we're a little outnumbered right now. So if we can convince the mob not to be an angry mob and not to be going on some crazy witch hunt, then we'd be in a much better position, especially when they're always siding with the police. He's just doing his job. He should (laughs) have followed orders.
3: And Adam, 30 seconds.
6: Well, thank you for the mention, Arvin. Of course, yes. uh, The one thing that I would do as president is pardon every victimless, criminal, especially whistleblowers and political prisoners, including Ross Ulbricht, Chelsea Manning, reality winner, Schaefer Cox, Leonard Peltier, Julian Assange, Edson and Jeremy Hammond, and, and even John McAfee. And I, I'm, I'm actually surprised, Arvin, that you didn't mention jury nullification because you speak to it so well. But I'm also disappointed about your position on drugs anyway. If you say drugs aren't that good, you're obviously <laughs> doing the wrong That's drugs, time and That's You time. haven't been spending enough time with John McAfee.
4: Uh, You need to go uh, see those John
0: McAfee (laughs) parties. Do you you care to respond to Adam's criticism or would you just accept an invitation to John McAfee's next party, Arvin? I'm happy to do
4: both, but I do want to say this, that that Adam's right. We all have the power to be partners in chief. Jury nullification brought freedom of the press to America and today we can use it to halt the war on drugs. That means if you're on a jury and it's a victimless non-crime, just say not guilty. Let's stop sending people to prison for absolutely no
0: reason. Right. All right. I think that uh, rounds up the rebuttals. Uh, it doesn't seem like Mr. Mons will be returning for the moment. So we're just going to table, table him for now. Uh, so moving on to the next question. I think that was everybody. Yep. yep. Moving on to the next question. This is from me. It's a long one, guys, so pay attention. <laughs> uh, Murray Rothbard once said, this is a quote, the genuine libertarian then is in all senses of the word an abolitionist. He would, if he could, abolish instantaneously all invasions of liberty, whether it be in the original coining of the term slavery or whether it be the manifold other instances of state oppression. He would, in the words of another libertarian in a similar connection, blister my thumb pushing that button. My question to the candidates is if you had the power to end the state immediately with the push of a button, would you push that button and why? And we will start with Adam Kokesh. Absolutely.
6: You know I'm going to pass the Rothbardian test. That's that's an easy one. And, and I'm going to take this as an opportunity to take issue with a, a little bit of, of Arvin's position that, that he, he takes on repeatedly, that if this government disappeared tomorrow, this culture would recreate it the next day. And I generally agree with the sentiment that politics follows culture. But in a way, it is so far behind right now that if we got rid of everything today, this culture would have a hard time getting it to be as corrupt and bloated and overgrown and divorced from the will of the public as it is today. And it's true that I prefer a much more peaceful transition. I prefer localization. Uh, I am pushing the button one level at a time. I think we can get rid of the federal government, we can get rid of state governments, we can get rid of county governments, we can get it down to the community level in a peaceful, orderly, responsible transition. But as Thomas Jefferson said, I would rather attend the problems of too much liberty than too little. And while there might be consequences in pulling the rug out from underneath people, ending the violence and morality and immorality of government by pushing that red button oh, yeah, no questions asked. I'd do it in Harvard.
0: All right, uh, Arvin, would you care to respond to Adam's Adam's criticism, critique? Yes, I absolutely would. Because the simple
4: fact is that if we got rid of this government today by passing it from the federal to the state level, as an example, the state level would be just as bloated, if not worse than the federal government. Most of the abuses we get on our on our personal liberty for most of us happen at the state and federal government. It is the state and federal government that robs us to create the worst education on, on a state and local government that robs us to create the worst education on Earth and, and damages us by creating a welfareist ideology. So I don't think I mean, 2009 shows this, that when you cut a little government, Democrat and Republicans vo- voters clamor to bring it back. I think we need it's to time. fight it's culture time. to change government.
0: All right. We will now move on to Sam Robb. Mr. Robb, are you pushing the button?
1: Absolutely. And here's the thing. This is kind of a weird situation we're in right now here in the United States. But at this time last year, if you pushed that button, it would take 90% of the people at least a couple of months to realize it had been pushed. Because the government honestly does not impact their lives that much and that drastically. It has been a slow encroachment over a period of years. I absolutely agree with Adam. We would not, we would not get this same government back because people would look at it and say, you know what, I, I've been doing fine without the government. That's what's happened in shutdowns. People look at it and say, you know what, there's, there's all this stuff that's not going on. All the non-essential services have gone away. So, what are you left with? We need to figure out how to do the essential services. Well, what about picking up the, the garbage in this in the national parks in the capital? Well, hey, who did that? Who did that? Let's be honest here. It was the libertarians, right? We organized, we went out, we did that. Most people wouldn't realize that the government was gone. We would build from there, I'm sure, new organizations and new structures to help make our society a lot better.
0: Thank you, Sam. Moving on to Mr.
5: Dan Taxationist Theft fairman would you push the button down so I, I think this is kind of a trick question um well, yes that's, if that's want, why we it's can fine. just get rid of government completely right now and have no side effects from that that would be awesome we would absolutely we could absolutely do that and i was looking at mon sideways um we absolutely could do that and as we've seen whenever the government shuts down or whenever they shut down the entire economy people are scared at first but then we realize oh well um, yeah, maybe we can get through this. Maybe it's not that big of a deal when our kids have to stay home and we educate them ourselves. But here's the thing. The government is, when you get rid of it, there are all kinds of entanglements that it has in our, in our business. We are not, 87% of this country is in debt to banks with government-backed programs. And if you get rid of the banks, you're going to have problems with people defaulting and banks taking away everything that America has. And what's going to happen? So banks would become insolvent, the economy would collapse, and really bad things would happen. But here's the thing, you have to look at the government like it's, it's kind of like a bomb with a mercury switch. And when you have a bomb like that, you want to disarm it strategically before you throw it out the window. If you just pick it up and throw it out the window, everyone's going to die. Sorry. But this is when you when you say we're just going to go in and cut out government completely and just shut everything down. That's the stuff that might happen because of the way that the banks are arranged insolvently. Um, we do need to strategically get out of that. Um, that's that's the unfortunate way that it is.
0: Ten seconds. Oh, you don't even need the ten seconds. All right, thank you, Dan. I do want to welcome back Mr. Mons, who is able to join us again. Um, you Did miss a couple questions, but I think we're going to try to circle back and, and make sure you can answer those questions as well. Uh, everyone's totally cool with that, even, even though you are sideways right now and it's hard not to giggle. Uh, but I just want to, I just, I want to restate the question. Uh, you're going to come a little in a little bit for the answer, but I want to restate the question just so Mr. Mons is aware of what the question that people are answering are. Uh, one more time, the Murray Rothbard quote. Murray Rothbard once said, the genuine libertarian then is in all senses of the word an abolitionist. Um, He would, if he could, abolish instantaneously all invasions of liberty, whether it be in the original coining of the term slavery or whether it be the manifold other instances of state oppression. He would, in the words of another libertarian in a similar connection, I don't know what other libertarian he's talking about in this quote, by the way, uh, he would blister my thumb pushing that button, my question to the candidates is, if you had the power to end the state immediately with the push of a button, would you push that button and why? And Mr. Mons, you are up next on this answer. So feel, feel free to take it away. Well, I see Mr. Mons, but I do not hear Mr. Mons. And now I don't see Mr. Mons either. So we're going to put Mr. Mons to the side for a second. I do believe he heard the question. So I'm going to just Move on, and then hopefully, you can come back for the end of the question. So, why don't we move over, Mr. Mons, for the minute, and uh, we will send the button question over to Mr. Vora, Arvind Vora. Uh,
4: Of course. I mean, of course, I would push that button in a second. But one of the things we really need to recognize here, and here's, here's where there's, there's a bit of difference between some of my views and some of Adam's views, is I do not believe that passing that power from the state level, federal level to the state level to the local level is the correct way to make that happen systematically. Not to say that I oppose all systematization or all gradualism or all anything like that. I'm simply saying that if you pass it from the federal to the state level, the state governments will cling to it just as strongly as the federal government clung to it. The way to do this is to, in every way, both abolish the federal programs and hamstring the state programs as badly as possible. For example, aside from D.C., and in D.C., of course, Justin Amash voted to increase public school spending, but outside of D.C., most government schools are handled at the state level. By using whatever method that is available to the president to try to monkey wrench and hamstring those schools as badly as possible, we could bring more freedom to the state level as well. The goal here is to end all government, not just some government, not just the federal government, not just the federal Department of Education and leave government schools, but to abolish it all the way through. That comes partially from political maneuverings, but also partly from culture change. If today (laughs) more people were homeschooling, there'd be more open, for example, to the idea of leaving government schools. One of the things my campaign has done is put out something called the AP Homeschool Project. That's aphomeschool.com to help make that culture change happen so that people are more willing
0: to opt out of government. All right. Now I want to go back to Mr. Mons real quick. He does seem like you're back with me. Are you you here, Mr. Mons? Yeah, I got you you now. Great. Were you able uh, to hear the full last question? Yes, about uh, flipping a switch. Yes. So yeah, I'll, I'll give you the chance to answer this one, and uh, hopefully we'll try to be able to circle back to the, the questions you missed.
2: Well, it would be quick. Yeah. If there was a switch to flip, yeah, I'd flip it in a heartbeat. I would have flipped it last week, last year. I'd have flipped it when, uh, when I was born. I mean, <laughs> you know, freedom, you know, th- this isn't a game. I mean, it's important to me. I, I mentioned, you know, when I announced my run, that you know my you know my inspiration for even getting in the race is honoring my great 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 grandparents who were enslaved here in Georgia and you know you know we've we've come to a government that's not trying to enslave any particular group of people they're trying to enslave all of us and that's not you know that's not something I definitely don't want and I know the people that are watching this don't want that I know the other candidates don't want it, you know, but, you know, what can we do? We can do what we're trying to do, and that's go out and speak a message of freedom. Be unequivocal about it. You know, don't let people try to mistake us for a Republican or Democrat. They should be perfectly clear that we are the party of principle and we want freedom in our lifetime we want it as soon as possible we want it now we wanted it yesterday and yes i would flip the switch in seconds that's all
0: all right you don't need them thank you mr mons uh we're gonna actually let's finish this up round and then i want to try to get uh, back to mr mons the other questions he missed but uh for now will you move the button question to mr mcafee
7: uh, uh, first of all, Mr. Mons, uh, you are absolutely fucking correct. Uh, my wife, Janice, is black. I've been with her for eight years, and I understand uh, the meaning of slavery, but not through my own life, but through my own uh, fucking life. Freedom, people, is not uh, the ability to move around as you wish in the world. No, no, I've been in jail prison in sport times than I can fucking count, and even in a prison in Guatemala, one of the worst <laughs> damn prisons in the world. I was free. Was, what is freedom? It is the ability to think for yourself without the influence and manipulation of the uh, social media, the, the mainstream media, government propaganda. It is to be able to be who you fucking are. End of story. I have nothing more to say. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. McAfee. Um, now I just want to make sure everyone's good on, on time. It might take a couple extra minutes, but I would like to give Mr. Mons the opportunity to, to answer the couple questions that that he missed if everyone's okay with that. Um, so Mr. Mons, you're still a bit hear Harris, right? I'm gonna just, Read, I think. Let's see. Yes. I think it was just the immigration question and the drug. I'm sorry. No, it was the national defense. Yeah, it was the national the defense national question. Defense,
2: right.
0: Yeah. So, um, I will just recap that question for you quickly and give you a chance to answer. Same thing with the drug question. So, um, for the national defense question, I just asked: Should the federal government have a role to play in national defense? Uh, and regardless of your of your answer to that, what should the role be of the federal government in regards to defense? And how would you, as president, interact with leaders of foreign countries?
2: All right. And I'll be quick. I, you know, I hate the technical difficulties I had. But any role hey, that good, the, any role that the federal government plays in national defense should be should be limited. You know, maybe uh, a role as, you know, a coordinator of you know bringing the troops together from the various states. Uh, but where are we right now? And, and what we need to do right now, we're not talking about what we're going to do down the line is bring the troops home, bring all the drones home. You know, that's something we can do right now, this presidency. So, you know, that that's the short end of it. Um, very limited role. Definitely not the role that they, they have been using.
0: We seem to be losing uh, losing Mr. Mons a little bit here. Are you still here? Are you still with us, John? Yes. Can you okay. hear me? He- yeah, we just lost you for a few seconds there. We had a little breakup. so you can. I'm done with that question. Do you want to just finish up because I think or recap what you said in the last ten seconds? Because we, I think we most of us missed missed your last like 10, 15 seconds or so.
2: Just you just, made just a very limited a very limited role. You know, the the most important thing that we need to talk about in this election is bring the troops home. Period. Bring the drones home. Call it national defense, not world defense. So I think that's an argument that we can you know, win with the American public, but we have to tell them why, why that's important. One, you know, a lot of the cases over the last hundred years have been based on lies. So we have to actually expose those lies and make the case of why it's better for us to bring troops home. All
0: right. Thank you, John. And, uh, Odie, John, do you want to uh, give Mr. Mons your drug question? And then we'll move on to the last round of candidate questions.
3: Yeah. So question four was, should all drugs be decriminalized? And, If yes, then how would you persuade Americans that it is the right path for dealing with any and all problems associated with drugs and drug use?
2: Yes, all of them. Decriminalize, legalize, whatever you want to call it. Every single last one of them. And once again, the message is freedom, is the ability for people to make their own choices. You know, this shouldn't be a question of legality. If somebody has a problem, let's say they have an addiction Well, will address the addiction you know and if we wouldn't be spending so much money on all these foreign entanglements you know there'd be plenty you know to be able to set up you know programs or or using the um, the free market you know of having centers where, where people could go in and get treatments but don't Put people in cages for making choices that some people might not agree with. Then that—that's not advocating the use of drugs. That's not advocating, you know, addiction and, and bad behavior. But we're advocating freedom, and and that should be, you know, something. That's an issue I believe that you know we we've stuck it out for 40 years, you know, talking about this drug war and it's something that we've gotten right. And now the other parties want to co-op. So we ought to make it clear that, no, this was the Libertarian Party who's taking this stance and, you know, not let the other ones you know, try to take our thunder.
0: All right. Thank you, Mr. Mons. Right. I'm Glad we were able to get your answers in on that stuff. let um, send it back to John Oderman for what should be a fun round. This is when you get to ask each other questions.
3: Yeah, this is, so question number six. Yeah, this is where you're asking each other a question. And then after you ask the question, whichever candidate you uh, choose to address the question to will get 90 seconds. And then you will get nine or uh, thirty seconds to uh, to rebut that. So we're actually starting up with uh, with John Mon's first here in this round. So uh, you can ask a question to uh, to any of the candidates here in the uh, in the forum.
2: Uh, let me see. Who? How about uh, Adam? Uh, just some question. Could you just clarify? Um, you know what. You've done in, in your role in the Libertarian Party, uh, you know, since you're you know, as far as your activism is concerned, as far as party things and, and not just individual activism.
6: Yeah, John, I, well, I'm certainly honored to get that question from you, because I think you're probably the only candidate in this debate who has me outshined on Libertarian Party credentials. And I certainly respect your time in the party there, but mine are pretty solid myself here. Uh, I, I've never been, uh, you know, I never registered with, with another party. You know, when I turned 18, I registered Libertarian. When I got back from Iraq in 2004, it was the first time I could afford it. I bought a lifetime membership. Uh, back then, it was only $1,000. It's $1,500 now. And I organized Libertarians of the Claremont Colleges, our college affiliate for the party. Helped out with one of the California conventions back then. Uh, I got to play Michael Bednarik in 2004 in a mock debate on campus. had a lot of fun with that. Uh, in in uh, the years in between, I've moved around a lot, so I haven't had as much of an opportunity to you know, work with a local party, but I've spoken at more state conventions than I can count even before this campaign touring. Um, I, I've been to definitely hundreds of Libertarian Party state conventions over the years, uh, usually as a volunteer with my time helping them build their parties with their events. I spoke at the national convention in 2016 and I you. ran for us Senate in Arizona as a libertarian in uh, 2018 and uh, stood up the, the Yavapai yeah. County chapter of the libertarian party. here. I, I, I got more. I could keep going, but no, I think, I think that's sufficient to, to make the point. Although I do want to, I do want to hand it to John for having achieved over a million votes in his races in Georgia. So, thank you, John.
3: Okay. And, John, you now have 30 seconds to, uh, to rebut or speak to whatever you wish.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, I just wanted to, you know, let people know and make it clear all that, uh, you know, Adam's been doing. And it's not necessarily that there's only uh, one way, um, you know, to help the party. I think it's very important just to be active. And, you know, I'm glad to hear about the involvement that he's had with the party uh, and some of the things that he's done outside of the party. So, you know, that's great, you know.
3: All right. And that's Thank it. All right. Next up, asking the question is
1: Samra. Yeah, this one's, this one's a little bit hard. Um, this is for John Mons. And I know you mentioned early on when you came on that you're, you're in a, a hard place down there right now in Georgia dealing with uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Um, when I went on uh, to talk to Nicholas Wildstar on his, uh, his show yesterday, he, put, he we talked about that a little bit. And he put forth to me, he said, where do you think we are in terms of racial relations in the United States? Where do you think we can go? And as president, what would you do to make sure that the voice of black America was heard? So I'm going to I'd like to turn around to you give it to you a little bit different different sort of question as, as president what would you see your role being in terms of you know, we've come a long way since you know since the 40s 50s 60s but we still have a long way to go what could you as president do to help all Americans and especially to help the divide that we have between black and white in certain parts of this country
2: well, thanks for the, for the question, Rob and uh, Sam. Uh, you know, what could I do? You know, one, the, it goes back to the message. You know, I gave a, a speech uh, back in November, and this was to a non-libertarian uh, audience, African-American audience. And the subject was, now is the time for serious thinking and impact. And the three things that I talked about were these. Number one, whoever's talking to you, coming into your face, If they're not talking about your freedom, it's not important. Number two was the fact that we are all individually responsible for our own lives. You shouldn't be looking to government, you know, know, to save you in any situation. And the third point, probably the one that I spent the most time on, was the government is not your friend. And even though that message was uh, given to a, uh, an African-American crowd, I think that's a message that could, I could give to anybody, to any organization, uh, to, to any group, any state, any local municipality. So that's the message is this, freedom, liberty, the basis of what that's made it, this like country it. great is the message that I would give to everybody. Your freedom is more important than anything but to give them personal you know connect to them to let them know uh why you have to let people know why
3: all right thank you john and then back to sam do you have a rebuttal or want to add to that absolutely not no rebuttal for that thank you (laughs) okay and next up asking the question is mr john mcafee
7: yeah okay well First of all, my, my wife allegedly is black. Uh, I think she is than a, a Boston socialite. Uh, and she says I'm the blackest man <laughs> she's ever met. I think race is an absolutely inconsequential issue here. It really is. Just for me, my experience, I do not see people as black, white, and yellow. <laughs> I see people as people. And and that is truly what we are. We're just fucking people, people. <laughs> and we are not perfect individuals or humans. We are loving kind, kind and and we are <laughs> compassionate, generous, and we have hopes and dreams, but at the same fucking time, people, we are greedy, hostile, angry. We are Jealous, we are uh, paranoid. This is what the human condition is, this is what we have to fucking deal with. If it's hard, it's
3: hard to cut you off, John, because you're on a hell of a rant, and I love it. But do, uh, do you have to I I clip rant. off
0: that rant and post it somewhere? <laughs> do
3: you have it's awesome. Gu- but do you, have, do you have a no, question, no, do, you. Do you have a question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not.
7: Thank you. I have no question whatsoever.
0: Thank you. Come on, no question really? For any of the candidates? You got Something. I'll tell no. everybody none. here. I I, I thought John McAfee would have the best question. Come on. No, I have
7: no fucking questions. I'm sorry. I have not.
3: Should have let you keep on ranting then. I feel bad now. <laughs> All right. Uh next up asking the question is uh Adam Kokesh.
6: Thank you, Matt. Well, I I'm tempted to uh, ask Dan Berman to finish the dog shit story yeah, but I know he's gonna he's, he's saving his time and his closer for that. I want to give John McAfee a little more time here. And there are a few pet issues of mine that I don't think are discussed enough in the libertarian Party. One of them, veteran and military suicides. It is a huge Achilles heel of government that we have so many veterans and active-duty service members killing themselves. Pointing that out is not just essential to taking down the state, but it is a critically humane issue that libertarians are uniquely qualified to address. The second one, Native American rights. I have a platform that gives every tribe the option of sovereignty and to take back the land that's been stolen by violated treaties. I don't hear this addressed enough. How do we not talk about Native American issues more when they have been yes. of the biggest, biggest government of all the minorities fuck. that are yes. suffering Native Americans fuck yes. are at the top? The fuck yes, one, Adam. Fuck Bitcoin, fuck Bitcoin, yes. Bitcoin <laughs> cryptocurrency, you're the mad genius here. How do we incorporate this more into the freedom movement? How do we get more libertarians using, engaging with Bitcoin, other crypto? And how essential is this to the Libertarian cause?
0: I just have to insert a why you need to watch the live streams of these, why you need to watch the video on YouTube if you're listening on the podcast now, because what's going on here with Mr. McAfee is is just amazing. So just, I just wanted to say that. Mr. McAfee, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm
7: finished.
6: Well, no, John, I really, what is the role of Bitcoin in serving the libertarian cause? How do we incorporate it more into our messaging in the party?
7: Well, fuck you, Adam, because that's a very (laughs) deep, goddamn question. All right. So now it's not Bitcoin. 90 seconds go. (laughs) It's cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency is the greatest fucking technology owned by the people that has occurred. In the past 200 fucking years, it did not come from the bowels of a fucking government program. It did not come from Apple or Samsung or Microsoft. No, it came from the fucking people. It's ours. It can free us from the slavery of financial control. Bitcoin. You know, that's a good one. It's a good one. Anna. It's not just Bitcoin. It's Monero. It's it's every fucking cryptocurrency. Please, God, people, look into this. This is our goddamn exit from financial control. Thank you.
3: All right, Adam, would you like to uh, like to respond or add anything there?
1: 37.
6: <laughs> yeah, just to underscore that, I mean, it's all, it's all beautiful, as, as we would expect from Mr. McAfee on this point. Absolutely. I, I think what we saw with Ron Paul talking about the Federal Reserve actually showed that there's a huge audience of the general public who want to look under the hood when it comes to monetary policy. And there are enough yeah. now who want an exit being crypto evangelists is critical to helping overthrow the monetary system and i'm grateful
7: for john's work especially in this realm god bless you adam god fucking bless you thank you
3: (laughs) all right next up asking the question is dan taxation
5: is theft berman all right. So, uh, in order to ask this question, you have to know the backstory. Um, in California, the government has killed over a million birds over the last year. Um, they've been going house to house in this area, saying that they're worried about a virus, and they're killing people's chickens. This little kid got a got a turkey as a gift. It grew up about this big. There's like video of him hugging it, and they came to his house in hazmat suits with AR-15s, and they shot his fucking turkey. So they're going around without real warrants. They're killing all these birds, and then we then this epidemic comes. Where now we're having food shortages and all these people don't have these chickens that they just killed, that the government just killed to force our dependency on the, big, on the big market. So my question is, when the government comes to your house with a fake warrant from some bullshit health inspection agency and men with AR-15s are coming into your house saying, we're going to kill your birds, and they've been, they were just shooting at them, stepping on their necks and all this other nonsense, what would you do? And this question I want to ask to so the first person Uh-oh. who can say taxation is theft taxation step.
6: Uh, that's Adam right, Kochash. Go. Yes. All right, then no, oh Dan, that's a brilliant question and and thank you for putting it that way. And I think I am uniquely qualified to answer this question as a civil disobedience activist, as someone who has violated firearms laws and civil disobedience openly. Drug laws, uh, assembly laws, protest laws, swearing cursing laws, all of these things and actually put my life on the line as a marine in combat and know what it means to actually stare a barrel down when it's being pointed at you by a government thug and i think it's still important to recognize that when you are in that face of overwhelming force that you are not going to win with violence and in all of my civil disobedience activism peaceful resistance has been absolutely critical and it's not just that peaceful revolutions historically are more successful than violent revolutions. They're more inclusive, they're more sustainable, but it's also more righteous. And I love the quote by John Lennon, right? They try to get you angry. They will tug your hair and flick your nose and do anything to make you violent. But if you can just laugh at them, they don't know how to deal with humor. They don't know how to deal with that ego-destroying laughter of humiliation. And in making their job Ten difficult seconds. and exposing what it is, I think we should do everything possible and put our lives on the line nonviolently to physically resist right, at our own time. comfort level of risk.
3: All right. Thank you, Adam. Dan, would you like to rebut or add anything there? 30 seconds? That's a good answer. Well, there you go. All right. So it says it all. Lastly here, asking the question is Arvind Vora.
4: My question is for Dan, taxationist, theft, Berman. Uh, Dan, one of the things that I've talked about is the power of individual choice and encouraging good individual choices for other people through your own example and through your own advocacy. Uh, Adam Kokesh has done so much work in encouraging other people to not enlist in the military by talking about his own experiences. I've worked hard to encourage people not to waste their time in traditional education through programs like the AP Homeschool Project and through my own business and and advocacy. One of the things that you've done that's been very inspirational for me is your choice to essentially make countries have to compete For you, you're choosing to live in Mexico and you've told me about other places and other people that are living in different places where they're saying, listen, I'm going to live wherever it's best for me. Different countries, what do you have for me? Have you done any kind of advocacy or encouragement in addition to your own leading by example (laughs) to encourage people to treat countries as if they're restaurants and go to the country that benefits them the most?
5: I would say I haven't directly advocated it to people, but I do share the information with people. I do want to let people know what their options are. I don't want to encourage them to do anything. Um, I want them to know what's available and to make their own decisions. And I think that's really important because, you know, like I said before, I haven't had a a driver's license for over a decade, um, but I wouldn't advocate people do that because I know that there are complications in dealing with the police and everything else. Um, There's, there's, there's so much complexity to this. And when some people go to different countries, some of them want to do it more legitimately. They want to file for, um, uh, uh, residency and, 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 or citizenship. Um, some people want to go to the, to the countries where you can just pay, you know, a certain amount of money and you'll have a passport. Um, some people use different passports as as a backup for, for travel. Um, it's really just a matter of bringing the information to people and allowing them to make their own decisions. And I think that is probably the most important part of this whole thing. And that's really what's, what's hidden from us um, because I know so many people that I've grown up with and lived with who, they never leave their own city except for maybe to go to a family wedding or something or a vacation once in a while for a few days, but they never leave their own city. They never move to another city to see other job opportunities. When they're looking for jobs, they're only looking in their city. When they're looking for places to live, and it's, that's absolutely insane to me, but it's, it's, it all seconds. goes along with the idea that we all live in a prison in our own heads, and we need to it's kick time. that door open, and someone needs to show them the light. Arvin, do you have a rebuttal there?
4: I just want to extend that. I think that's excellent that, that by letting people know what their choices actually are, you increase freedom. We see that in education where people can make an individual choice to homeschool rather than government school. We see that in the military where people can make the choice to not enlist. And then I think it's amazing that you're showing people that they have the choice to just live somewhere else other than the country in which they were born. Thank you.
3: All right, so that concludes our uh, questions and answer session. So I'll kick it back to, to Mark for closing statements.
0: Well, I can't say I can't necessarily say Dan. Uh, Dan specifically inspired me, but I'm currently broadcasting this podcast from Mexico too, a different part of Mexico, um, and that's why I, that's why I fell off the internet for a minute because we're still working on that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, I'm sorry. I don't know when I come back. So until until then, I'll be here podcasting all the time. So I'm always I'm always ready for you guys if you ever want to hop on. But uh, until then, we have some business to close up here, and that is the closing statements. You'll get 90 seconds each for these closing statements and I probably won't be that prickly about the time. So uh, we're going to start with a closing statement from Mr. Adam Kokesh.
6: Thank you so much, Mark and Matt, for putting this together, my fellow candidates. Everybody join us live. It's been a lot of fun. Definitely appreciate these more interactive, intellectually challenging debates. What I'm doing with this campaign is not so much running for president as turning the federal election into a referendum on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all. And as self-conscious libertarians, we don't want to scare people with the message, but this is something that already polls over 25%. This is something that people want. This is something people are ready for. Let's give it to them. So with localization, this is the everybody gets what they want strategy. And I ask people on the street, you know, well, not anymore because we're not touring like we used to, but you know, what what would you think of this? And And most of them are for it. And it's actually an extremely moderate, unifying policy. And I ask people, how many uh, people do you think work for the government in the United States at all levels? And I I would ask the audience now, do you know off the top of your head how many? It's 22 million. Now, how many of those work for the federal government? Only 3 million. That's right. I am proposing cutting less than one in seven government employees. Anybody who's advocating less than this is defending the status quo. Keeping the federal government going is not only unrealistic and unethical, but at this point, irresponsible and contrary to the will of a good chunk of the American people who want freedom. Let's give them a real option, present them with real freedom. And for anybody who's watching right now who's not already a member of the party of principle, lp.org if you don't want to give us $25 secret link is slash free membership join us lp.org thank you very
0: much thank you Adam moving along to the cackling man himself here Mr. McAfee here up next
7: now if, if anybody believes that I do not live by what I say right I am never again this is why you need a ever without a fucking fully automatic weapon <laughs> and more side arms than you can fucking imagine. Adam, God bless you, my friend. I am fully in accordance. I live what I say. If anybody fucking <laughs> doubts that. And... I have enjoyed this beyond comprehension. Thank you so fucking much, Mark, and everyone else who has made this possible. God bless you all. Well, thank you.
0: This has been fun. So let's keep the fun going. And uh, I think we're all on the edge of our seat for the next next closing statement. We're all wondering what is gonna, how this poop story is gonna end, or if we're even gonna hear the end. So Dan, I'm probably gonna give you as much time as you need if it means we we'll get to hear the end of the,
1: of the poop story, to be honest. So, oh yeah, give him, him all you. the time he needs. So okay. So Will everyone saying, agree
0: to see their time for the poop
5: story? <laughs> so I was saying my dogs, they they make these adorable little poops and they give them to me as as gifts, right? Now some people would be grossed out by this, or as they say in Mexico, wakala, right? Disgusting. Ugh. Right, I want to like nobody wants to pick this up, but they're little gifts to me, and I have a positive outlook about that. Right, it's a gift; it's something that they made just for me, and I'm not going to put it on the mantle. Right, I'm not going to do anything like that, um, but I might compost it. Right now, the Republicans have given us a little gift; they've given this little gift to the to the Libertarian Party, and we could look at this as gross, right, or we could say, you know, thank you. We could have the positive positive outlook and say, you know what, thank you. We're going to take this adorable little poop and we're going to compost it. We're gonna turn it into some wonderful fertile soil and someday maybe some amazing beautiful flowers will come out of that. And we can do that and and that's gonna be wonderful. But for now we have to realize it's just a little piece of shit. <laughs> I'm assuming that's referencing someone that may have
0: been in the, the headlines lately that may have been referenced here by Mr. Vora. But I'll let the audience decide <laughs> what exactly you're talking about. Hey, baby. All right, moving on <laughs> The closing statement, uh, Mr. Okay, John I Mons. Yes. Uh, I just like to
2: say uh, that, you know, I, I take this run very seriously.
7: Right
2: I, I take freedom, I it. freedom I it. very seriously. Only freedom for myself
0: i think we're having a little connection issue again with uh with mr mons here john are you able to hear us i want to make sure we can actually we can actually all hear your answer so um looks like mr mons is frozen he's really having bad luck whenever john if if
3: you want to if you want to try cutting your video if you can hear us you might you might get better audio so so i
0: I think he's still talking actually so hello can you hear me yeah do you hear it yeah yeah, so why don't we just stay off video for you since that's taking up some bandwidth. So uh, why don't you start your answer over? I want to make sure you get, you're you able to get your full statement in because we, we, you kind of broke up there for, for a lot of it.
2: All right. Well, that's part of living in rural America, I guess. We, but, we, um, we hear you good now. Uh, I just take the run very seriously. I take freedom very seriously. And I just ask for... Um, the delegates other party members, whoever's listening, you know, to look at my body of work. Now, I've run for office before, but outside of running for office, I tend to get on the ballot. I'm a federal lawsuit concerning ballot access for our U.S. House candidates here in Georgia, which is, is horrendous. So, uh you know, this is very, very serious to me. Um, I love the party, I love the people, and some, some things you might not know. Some, most of my activism has also, you know, been on the local level. You know, just last year I was banned from school, uh, the local Board of Education meetings for 60 days for trying to speak out and hold them accountable for the horrible decisions they're making with kids, even though I have no kids in the system. I've homeschooled my kids. Two are graduates, college graduates right now. One's a you college that, senior. senior, and I have, uh, you know, one still at home. You know, I've gone to, I've challenged tickets. I had a jury trial for a speeding ticket. Um, you know, I'm constantly looking for new ways to challenge the system and, to, uh, you know, obtain more freedom and and. So, you know, I appreciate the other candidates, what they're doing, what they're saying. But the message is key. Once again, Socialist Party of the United States don't win elections. They move people to their way of thinking. And that's what we have to do. Make freedom real. Don't you know, we don't need to be genuflecting at some flag, you know, standing up and pledging allegiance and all that. You know all those symbols. We have to make the case that freedom is what we want, and we'll fight to get. Thank you,
0: thank you, Mister Mons. I'm glad we were able to to get your uh, get your full answer in there. Eventually, Uh, moving on. Let's see. We've got next up closing statement from Arvind Vora.
4: For the last several election cycles, the Libertarian Party has chickened out. They have chosen to go with a big government statist rather than one of the great libertarian choices. 2008, they chose Bob Barr over Dr. Mary Ruert. Bob Barr later on talked about how he didn't want to end the war on drugs. Then they chose Gary Johnson over Lee Wright. Gary Johnson over Daryl Perry, making the same mistake again and again with this foolish plan that says maybe if we compromise enough, we'll somehow win. John McAfee is right. The chance of actually winning is basically zero, but that's not a bad thing. That lets us know what strategies we should use. If one strategy has no real chance of doing anything useful, look at the other strategies, and the other strategies are to change culture. I've said before that this culture has produced this government, but if we change this culture, it will change this government. Adam, you talked about not wanting to scare people too badly. I disagree. I say, scare the hell out of people. Let's get the conversation started. Let's be exciting and inspiring. And when I say this, I'm respecting your actions because you, Adam Kokesh, scared the hell out of me the first time I saw you speak about (laughs) something. The first time I saw one of your videos, I thought you were crazy. But it was that that boldness, that fearlessness, that frighteningness that woke me up. And I thank you for doing that. And I hope that we can do that again in 2020. It is not time for a weak presidency. It's not time for yet another I'm Republican washout. It's time for a real libertarian candidate.
0: All right. Adam, I will let you respond if you want, because why not?
6: Well, I think Arvin's point in terms of grabbing people by the collar would be where I would find common ground with them. I think we can do that without scaring people. And I know this is a bit of a semantic disagreement, but you know, Arvind, that in sentiment, we are extremely aligned and definitely share this passion for doing whatever it takes to reach people with the message of freedom. So thank you for that.
0: All right, and we have one more closing statement. This one's going to come from Sam Robb.
1: Thanks, sir. First off, thank you for this debate. It's a fantastic time. Uh, wonderful job you guys have done here. Looking backwards at our performance as a party, in 2016, Gary Johnson got about 4.5 million votes, which is fantastic. It was a great job. It was the best we've done as a party in, since, the, since the party was founded. 88% of those votes came from non-libertarians. And I'm not talking about non-libertarian party members. I'm talking about people that weren't registered libertarian to vote even. 88%. If we're going to change the political culture in this country, we need to hit 10% of the vote. We need to get to the point where we are pulling in 13 to 50, 15 million votes in election. That means that 99% of the people that are voting, that we are going to get to vote for us, are going to be coming from Democrat, Republican, or Independent. Those are the people that we need to speak to. Not the hardcore libertarians. We know where we stand. We all know that we would smash that, that Rothbard button, right? That's where we want to go. The question is, how do we get there? And that's what we're debating. Do we have a peaceful dissolution? Do we start slashing things left and right? Do we disassemble things? Do we evacuate people from the house before we start setting off explosives and bringing it down? And that's where we are. We need to reach people and convince them that we are the solution that they need and that we have the answers and that they will be taken care of and their problems will be solved when they vote for us.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Rob. Thanks to every one of you for for coming on and doing this. Uh, It's been a a challenge to organize a couple debates. I want to do some more of these uh, before we get to decision time, whenever that may be, wherever that may be, whether it's on the internet, whether it's in person, no one really knows right now. Uh, But I want to keep having these conversations because it's extremely important. Obviously, all of us are involved. In the libertarian movement in the libertarian party for a reason because we want to spread these ideas we want to change the way people think and every single one of you i would be proud to have as the nominee because every single one of you represents a drastically different view than what's being presented in the mainstream um, regardless of any minor differences you might have along here so i want to thank all of you for being here for being a part of this process and for contributing to this conversation because no matter how this all works out i think just having these conversations is to uh it's fucking awesome uh, to, uh, to to use a phrase of Mr. McAfee. Um, John, do you have any last thoughts before we sign off? Not really. I think
3: you, uh, I think you did a good job there. You know, just great to uh, you know hear from each and every one of you on these important topics. And uh, you know, I've been watching the, the Facebook uh, watch parties and things happening, and this is being blasted out all over the uh, the interwebs. So uh, it's good stuff. And thank you all for your time.
0: Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, anyway, Mark. Thanks, John. Thank you guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Until, thanks, guys, until we meet awesome. again, uh, thank whatever you. Whatever form it may be, <laughs> my friends, keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. We'll talk soon. All
7: right, see you. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.